This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Hello, hello, and we are back. It is time for another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And two very exciting things just happened. Uh, three things happened. One was that the door rang, and we had a guest come in by the name of Dean Par. Is it Parisot? Is that how one pronounces your last name? It is, unfortunately, a silent T. Silent T. From yeah. French... Uh, Somewhere back in time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dean Parisot is here, the film director. And uh, the other exciting thing is that uh, Brian, our beloved um, engineer... Discovered that he can make iced coffee here on Deck 44. It, it's all easy with a replicator. Yeah. <laughs> now, here on Deck 44 uh, of our studios, we do not have... Um, we have access to coffee and to ice. So why not make two great tastes that taste great together? Yeah, yeah. So um, before we uh, in- introduce um, Dean, and we're going to talk a lot about Galaxy Quest and why he's here this week, um, I just very quickly uh, was handed something important so uh wait red alert i was handed something important i was handed something important that i'm supposed to read to you and it goes like this hello jordan hoffman here host of engage the official star trek podcast and you can join me and all the other trekkies trekkers and trek curious at mission new york star trek's mission new york this labor day weekend september 2nd through the 4th what 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 I didn't say is for free. This is a giveaway. We're doing a contest. And if you want to come to the Star Trek convention in New York this Labor Day and you don't want to pay, we can make that happen through the power of luck. Or if you can somehow figure out how to cheat the system and, and do it that way. But what you do is you go to cbs.com forward slash Star Trek and enter for your chance to win a trip to New York City. Oh, we're going to pay for your hotel? Oh, Okay. Probably going to put you in Jersey, let's be honest. But you're going to go to uh, cbs.com slash Star Trek, enter your chance to win a trip to New York City, and tickets to one of the top Star Trek events in the country, in the world, in the galaxy. So check out the... Um, bu- 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 yes, and so go do that, all right? Excellent news. Okay, now we're in business. Let's, uh, let's teleport Dean in. And ladies and gentlemen, this is exciting. Because uh, they talk about uh, uh, the fifth Beatle, right? George Martin was the fifth Beatle. There was John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Um, If there are 13 Star Trek films, now that Star Trek Beyond is out in theaters, the 14th Star Trek film, unofficially, in my head, would be Galaxy Quest. And sitting in the center seat, of course, filmmaking is a collaborative art. You need writers, you need producers, you need actors, you need cinematographers, you need people to make the props. But there is one person who has to direct all that traffic. And the director of Galaxy Quest is here with us today, Mr. Dean Pariseau. Dean, welcome to Deck 44. Thank you, Jordan. You've (laughs) lost your mind, but thank you. (laughs) Now, um, the thing about Galaxy, well, one of the many things about Galaxy Quest is I want to, to people who love Star Trek. By the way, this coffee? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. He knows what he's doing. Um, the thing about Galaxy Quest to um, this is a we've talked about this before. This is a universally beloved movie. Everybody loves this movie, and it did take a little bit of time for that to become uh, common knowledge. 
Galaxy Quest is a weird type of cult film because most cult films are not successes at first and then they become a success after the fact. Galaxy Quest tweaks that a little bit because it was successful when it came out. It was. It it had a strange uh, opening. Yeah, it was. People were were hoping for it to to be a little bit bigger. There was talk this is going to be the next Ghostbusters. And then it was just a movie that did well, but it didn't light the world on fire. Well, they originally thought it was a movie for children. So um, um, we had huge arguments about how it was marketed. Mm. Uh, it did something odd, though. It, uh, which I, I, very few movies have done, and, and of course I'm sort of proud of it. It it was marketed to children, which means that all the testing they did was with ten um, year olds, basically. Mm. And we kept saying, no, no, this this is not. A, it's not. It's 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 for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, but at first they didn't believe us, and. Um, so they, they marketed it for children, and they put it into those theaters that are normally matinee theaters. Mm. And the first weekend it did, I can't remember, it did like $12 million. Or something. Mm. And this is 1999, by the yeah. way, so with inflation. Right. But then it did a weird thing. is The second weekend it made $12 million. And the right. third weekend it made $12 million. And it kept making the same amount of money, which meant that their advertising wasn't Working, it was word of mouth that was yeah. bringing people in, and it kept doing that for, I think it was five weekends in a row, uh, which is a bizarre thing. Most movies fall off drastically sure. uh, after the first week, and so it became apparent that uh, they had left their cards on the table, and um, so the big, uh, you know, sort of argument that we were having about its marketing ended up being. Correct. Yeah, it was sort of caught caught in a loop it was in a way. Caught in a weird yeah, <laughs> marketing loop. loop. But you you mentioned I should preface by the way. But uh, I'm very glad that it was. Well, and and this is the thing. Um, in a way, it must be a dream. I mean, some movies come out, they do phenomenally well, make everybody a lot of money, and then they kind of dissipate from consciousness, uh, from the collective conscious. People just kind of forget about it. This movie has, like you say, kind of slithered in and just stayed and just and never left it's people have been loving it now for for 16 years it, it, it's both gratifying and and, and odd um, because you know you make a movie and you move on to the next thing right um, and this keeps coming back <laughs> it's a it's a it's a strange phenomenon right right I should say coming back because number it, one it's wonderful I mean I think I you know we it's one of those especially um, you know, this was 15, maybe longer, years ago, right? Yeah. And of the memories I have of working in the movie business and making movies, my fondest is this movie. It was the most fun to make. Uh, all, Most of everyone who made that movie, were, we've stayed friends for 15 years. That just doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Uh, so it was. It, it, it was Sam Rockwell who said uh, it was as if somebody sprinkled pixie, bu- pixie dust on the film. It just clicked together magically. Uh, it's been 17 years because two years ago 17. was the 15. Oh, God, I know, I know, old. I know. So two years ago was the 15 year anniversary, and that's how you and I met. Which is, I I wrote um, the the quote unquote oral history of Galaxy Quest and a lovely the, job. Oh, you thank did. you very much for the 15 year anniversary, which is how we we got in touch, and that. Um, what was a you can read it on mtv.com or you just google galaxy quest uh um oral history and you'll find it and um it, it was a, a a big success in the internet web and en- entertainment world it was something that everybody put on facebook i love this movie i love this movie read this story oh i never knew this about galaxy quest and we sort of dug up all these these old stories and um what i wanted to ask about about cult films are um you know, like you said, it must be. It's certainly very gratifying that these these this thing doesn't go away. And in fact, the reason you're in New York right now is because they're having a screening of Galaxy Quest in a few hours at the uh, at the Intrepid, where they're doing the Star Trek events. Yes, all which summer. you tricked me into being involved in. <laughs> I didn't trick you. I just sent you an email. Yeah. I said if you want to go. You know, they're very nice there. They were, actually, they were very sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to go. First of all, the Intrepid is great. They've been doing outdoor screenings all summer. And what's really clever is that they've been doing mostly Star Trek because they have this current Star right. Trek exhibit. 
And in addition to they've had the good Star Trek ones, they've had two, four, and six, and then the new 09 version, and they said, hey, for kicks, why don't we slip in Galaxy Quest also? Um, but uh, curious about when, when you were uh, growing up, were there cult films that you loved? Were there ones that really connected with you that, uh, you know, weren't sort of for the normals, but that, that really resonated with you? Well, there were, but they were, you know, of that era more. Um, you know, I mean, things uh, things like um, Badlands, Repo Man, um, you, know, um, you know, all those movies that came out of the 70s, there was a, a whole collection being there. Uh, oh, yeah. It, um, it, it was, uh, and then... And then the foreign films, you know, you know, yeah. from Antonioni to Fellini. I, it, it, but it's uh, there are lots of movies that never made a dime or saw very, very few audiences in their time, and then have gone on to, uh, you know, stand the test of time. Stand the test of time, and also have very strong followings. Yeah, and in a way, although the content of Galaxy Quest is quite different because it's very populist and fun and for everyone, whereas yeah, it's a, Red it, Desert is a little esoteric for, for yeah. many people, uh, it still is a cult film. I mean, it's something that, that was, you know, it, it, it there's that definition of what a cult film in, uh, is, and I, I think Galaxy Quest, in a weird way, fits in with that. I mean, I hope I hope that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would like that to be no, true. That means that you and Antonioni are right side so, in a weird way. I don't, I don't know if we really should be put in the same sentence together. Um, uh, I appreciate the attempt, but... Um, no, I mean, I, I loved movies uh, uh, of all generations, basically, and grew up watching everything because I grew up here in New York, uh, actually in Connecticut. Um, you had Million Dollar Movie and, and WPIX, and you had all these movies played yeah. constantly, right? So when I was a little kid, I was seeing everything, you know, from Citizen Kane to The Crawling Eye. And it was, <laughs> uh, and so. You know, and then my mother was um, a movie fanatic, so she would take us um, to see. But but if I'm not mistaken, when you were young, you and your brother were big Star Trek fans, correct? We were. In fact, my mother had a station wagon that my brother, unbeknownst to her, rewired. Uh, so there were switches that were labeled on the dash. Um, that all had to do with the Enterprise. Awesome. Uh, uh, and then he built, th- this is, don't, you other kids out there don't listen to this. He, <laughs> he built rocket launchers on the roof uh, because back then you could buy these model rockets from the Estes Corporation. Okay. And he put two tubes on the roof that you could launch from a switch he put on the dash that said photon torpedoes. <laughs> And we were driving along one day, and he flipped the switch, and he had loaded two in there as my mother is driving. Wait, wait, wait. These, these are not fake. These were rockets that actually would ignite in a way? Or? Oh, yeah, no. They fired off the top of the car Whoa. and ended up in the swamp next to uh, the road uh, next to my house. So, uh, no, we were very inventive, and we uh, Star Trek gave us all kinds of... What, what did mom say when you... Uh... She was uh, annoyed. <laughs> I would imagine so. So, as as a as a young fan, um, the 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 uh, and you can learn the the specifics of you know Hollywood works in very uh, serpentine manner how certain projects come together. You came to Galaxy Quest when it was already a fast moving train, and it was an odd yeah. You uh, were uh, at the time a, a hot young director in Hollywood, and you had connections with the, the right producers, and you were had made films and shows before, but this was going to be your biggest budget project to date, or you were probably in the market for a big budget thing, and then you got the the Star Trek movie or the quasi Star Trek movie or the playful Star Trek movie. That must have been just like a double whammy for you. Well, it was great because you know, I mean, as we went on, as I went on to college. You know, we loved Star Trek, and we also mocked Star Trek at the same time. Um, and uh, I think the way it transpired, I had made a movie um, with Mark Johnson, who's a, a producer, who's a fantastic producer and and a friend, um, still after all these years. Um, and uh, I made a movie with him called Home Fries with uh, Drew Barrymore and uh, Luke Wilson. And it was a Vince Gilligan script, actually. Um, from uh, Breaking Bad. From Breaking Bad, yeah. Vince had ju- was just starting out, and I was just starting out. It was my first movie. And Mark um, was producing Galaxy Quest. This was about two years after. 
And so I was just, I was in that, uh, what did we used to call it, new young meat category <laughs> um, in Hollywood. Yeah. And um, uh, although I thought I was going to make independent movies in New York for years. But anyway, uh, and um, he sent me the script uh, because I think I'd made some reference to Star Trek at some point. And um, I read it and loved it. Yeah. And he said, but you can't have it because Harold Ramis is doing it. And I said, God damn it. <laughs> what do you mean can't have it? He said, no, Harold Ramis. But I just wanted you to read it because uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen. And then I went. But that's a double double screw you. It's like, here, yeah. read this awesome script. A, you can't yeah. direct it. And B, it may never even see the light of day. Well, no, that it was, it, it was, it was, it was, had, they were starting um, to put it into the works, but right. it was, it was iffy. And in fact, what ended up happening is Harold Ramis left. Right. Um, well, the, the, the way I understand it, and you tell me if, if this is incorrect, um, there was some trouble over the casting. Uh, the, the studio, which was DreamWorks, at the, which was new at the time, mm-hmm. really wanted to work with Tim Allen, mm-hmm. which in retrospect, we now know he is the only guy to play this role. But at the time, Tim Allen was known really as a TV guy and comedian and did not have, uh, you know, th- th- he was known for that. That's right. And Harold Ramis, who was terrific and has made some of the greatest comedies of all time, uh, had had a couple of other actors in mind. He said, "No, we got to pick from one of these guys." And there was a, there was a showdown, and and Ramis said, "Screw it, I'm going to leave." That is the story I heard. Yes, fair enough. Kevin, I don't I don't know that for sure, but that's right. The well, story you weren't there, but that's the that's the legend. I later um, got to know Harold, who is was is a fantastic guy. Was a fantastic guy. Unfortunately, he passed away. Yeah, um, because we both ended up being a resource people at Sundance at the at the June Lab mm. and we both introduced we both had films this is bizarre yeah. uh, there's a film called Ice Harvest that I was going to make um, and it fell apart uh, because for the same reason I wanted Robert Downey to play the lead and they wanted somebody else mm. and Harold Ramis ended up making that movie. <laughs> so we both wow. we both screen our our movies, and he screens the one that uh, he made because of me, and I screen the one that I made because of him. Oh, isn't that funny? There's a yin. You know, he was a, a Buddhist. He was a Buddhist. Like, he always had the beads with him. Yeah. So that's a yin. Is Buddhism yin yang or is that Taoism? Well, either way, there's an Eastern there's yeah. a balance in that the that I like. Yeah. It's, it's very poetic. No, he was a lovely, yeah. lovely guy. So just if you're listening, the, the rumor and, uh, you know, I, I, when I wrote the article, I did a little bit of research. So, uh, you know, this won't hold up in a court well, of Well, Tim will admit to that as well. Right, right. But the <laughs> actors that almost played the lead uh, that Harold Ramis wanted, uh, Kevin Klein was about to do it, but he wanted to shoot it in New York and not go to L.A., and so he, they, they couldn't make that happen. I, I mean, Kevin Klein is tremendous, and I think he would have done a very good job. There was also talk about Alec Baldwin actually got an offer, and I, then I also uh, was talking about Alec Baldwin. When I first mm. walked in. Um, he would have been great. I mean, yeah. Tim Allen is perfect, but you know, on Star Trek we have this thing called you know, uh, you know, uh, mirror universes and parallel universes and alternate timelines. So you know, the version of Galaxy Quest with Alec Baldwin would have been and the younger 15 16 years ago also i think it would have been dynamite but you know uh, it's well i, I later got about. to make a movie with alex so i i uh um uh we we talked about it a little bit but really as really tim was absolutely for me yeah was absolutely perfect and it and i realized it as soon as i met tim because tim also was that character yes tim had had, had a huge hit series on the air it had gone off the air he was. It's like, what do I do now? Exactly right. Right. Yeah. And he was. He had made uh, Santa Claus. That was the movie he made. <laughs> right. And he, and he wasn't all. It had been a big hit, but he was like, he, he wanted to do something, uh, something different. Yeah. And uh, and I think he felt he, when I met him, he felt a little lost. Like, I, yeah. You know, I'm not. No. He 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 told me that he was fielding offers at the time, and he didn't know what he wanted to do, and he was just about to sign to do a movie. Cause he, but he loved sci-fi. He loved sci-fi. So he told his people who were out sniffing for scripts, "I want to do. I want to be a sci-fi hero. That's what I want to do." And he was this close to signing a movie 
uh, which actually did get made with Robin Williams called Bicentennial Man. Oh yeah, yeah. Which, um, I, not to this, you know, it's not it's not the best, not film his in, finest, right? Not hour, his finest no. hour. And his pen was in his hand. He was ready to sign on Bicentennial Man, and then said, "Hey, we got this Galaxy Quest at the new DreamWorks, and you know, it's coming together." And it just clicked, and then you cast the rest of the film your own. That was that 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 was. Uh, so when you came to the movie, Ramis said thank you, but no thank you. But Tim was on board. Well, you come in. Mark and then, Johnson said Tim is is cast. Yes. Um, and I said uh, I don't I don't know. I got to meet him. And yeah. So I went and sat down with Tim, and then when I left, I was I I thought wow, it's it's a it's an odd choice, but it's kind of really the right choice. Yeah. And um, he was really gung-ho to do it. Um, but then the first week, he kept accusing me of making a drama. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, because you got to take the material seriously, or just because he wasn't used to f- filmmaking? No, he was, he was just giving me a hard oh, time. Oh, okay. He was just well, that's the story that everybody else said, is that he's a real joker on set. And Yeah, uh, he can't help himself. Right, yeah. right, right. Some exciting news, some exciting news for Engage listeners, a special offer from our newest sponsor, Gamefly. Gamefly is the greatest thing to happen to games since the invention of the joystick. Why buy video games that are expensive, that you play through once, and then you're done when you can rent them? What do you do when you play through a game? Nothing. You got a disc, you got a new coaster. Who needs it? Most games, you play through them and then you don't play them anymore. One, well, a few of them you play over and over again, but most of them, they just sit there. So Gamefly is, uh, is like um, Netflix for movies, uh, but with games. They send it through the mail. No late, fle- no late fleas on the flies. No late fees on Gamefly. And uh, when, uh, you know, when you're done, you send it back and then you get another one. It's fantastic. And... Um, you know, for all the formats, uh, you know, wh- whatever you use, PlayStation or, or whatever your model is, they got it all. They got the newest games. They got deep cut games. They got thousands and thousands of games. So go to Gamefly.com and for Engage listeners, they got an offer. Gamefly.com slash Engage. You can get a 30-day premium trial. 30 days. Two games at a time. Also, they have movies. They have movies on there, too, if you want them. Uh, but check it out. Gamefly.com slash Engage. You are going to uh, once you start with this, you never go back. It's a great way, uh, great way to in- engage with uh, the world of video gaming. So check it out. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, specifically as a Star Trek fan, is in the movie, there are scenes where they're at the convention, which as a guy who goes to Star Trek conventions, I find particularly amusing. And the guy who's hosting the panels, which is what I do at these conventions, is Kevin McDonald from The Kids in the Hall. Who which, was, yeah. Which, uh, You're you know, kidding. I didn't know that. What, that, that, it was, that he was doing that? No, 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 in your film. Oh, in my film. Yeah, it's Kevin McDonald. Oh, I thought you were telling me he's now doing no, that. No, 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 no. I don't know what Kevin McDonald's that up to strange, now. That would be strange. He's living in Canada. The irony, but... irony of that would be too much for me to take. <laughs> yes, yes, that's who it was. Uh, right, right. Uh, but um, there are scenes in the film where if you're kind of, you're not supposed to really be paying too much attention, but in the background they're showing footage of the old Galaxy Quest TV show. And you shot it in the manner. It's not a one-to-one. Some of it is a little bit like original series. Some of it is like Next Generation. Some of it is a little bit like Buck Rogers, the TV show. But it's yeah. all the stuff we love, or the original Battlestar Galactica. Well, How many days did you actually... Was it just like one day where you just went all out and just shot that footage? Or No, the hard part was actually um, production designing it um, because um, I, I didn't want it to be... To look, I wanted it to look like all those movies that, or, or all those even, uh, television shows that affected me as a kid, and mm-hmm. I knew what they felt like and what they looked like, and they kept making it too good, and so um, it was very, it was actually harder to production design. But once, 
we got, for example, the there's always the the planet with the red atmosphere, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and those rocks, which actually a lot of them are coming out of prop houses because they were made for other things and they're paper paper mache rocks. Mm-hmm. And I want and if you look closely, they have sort of nicks because they've been used a lot before. Sure. Um, and also, you have to have the red psych, right? Yeah. Which is not quite lit perfectly red because there's because you don't have a lot of money and and in those days some gaffer came in and really like just put a string of red lights along the bottom so you can see sort of the lights right rather than it being even there's like oh it's a little brighter here than over here right, right. and well, then, that was the genius of the original series cinematographer whose, whose name i'm embarrassingly blanking on right now but he's one of the most important guys of star trek they just gave him a blank room and he just put different gels, like, you want yeah. a new planet? Bing, 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 bing. That's right. And he turned it from green to purple, and yeah. that was it. That's what that's what he yeah. did. Because they just didn't have the cash. So sure. it, it makes it even more inv- more amazing, in a way, that... I mean, look, the the thing I loved about this movie in particular is, is it celebrates something we humans do, which is um, we, we have this ability to suspend disbelief and immerse ourselves in basically a collection of of light and sound on a flat screen, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And then have an emotional connection, reaction, and and journey. That's an amazing thing. Um, it's it's what we all love. That make it, it's it's why we love movies. And when it works, and when it carries you along, Star Trek carried me along as a kid. I didn't think about that for a second. Mm. I was just with those characters on on other planets, working out all these. Morality tales. I mean, it was it was yeah. it was amazing. So, uh, but what's fun is when you start to point the, out the actual cheesiness of the originals, well, that, right? That's the thing is that I think most hardcore Star Trek fans, and I certainly put myself in this category, we love to get together and kind of make fun of Star Trek a little bit. Like right. we, we love to joke about. But like, you, Shatner you, screaming Khan is beloved because he kind of a it's kind of a joke, but it's great. You know, it's it's. Uh, yeah, when you love something, you love it because you love its flaws. You love you its know? flaws. You also love its commitment, right, right to something, right? And uh, and and you love the fact. I think that it, there, you know you, we've all had that experience. You're you're going through the channels, and then all of a sudden there's that movie. You don't know why. You got to watch it. You've yeah. seen it a hundred times. You got to watch it again. Um, and you don't know. It's because it carries you along. Yeah. And you know that's something that the character Alexander Dane doesn't get until the end. When that's, the Thermian, that's the lesson he learns. When the Thermian is dying, he's been embarrassed by Galaxy Quest his whole life, but it's been a paycheck for him, and he's got to do it. He's got to say by grab Thor's hammer, what a savings. And then when the Thermian is dying, and he sees that he can give him such sucker in his moment of of of, he, of death, he understands the connection between an actor and a fan, right? Yeah, and that's what that movie is about. It's about fandom. Uh, it's about that that when those actors can commit a hundred percent to those characters to playing those parts and help each other, yeah, they become better actors. I have so many actors come up to me and say, "Oh, I love that movie. It's about actors." Yeah, yeah, no, it really, that's, it really is. You know, I spoke when I met um, Alan Rickman, um, which is a funny story in itself. I'll tell you, but when I met him. Um, we spoke about that scene, and and he he reflected on it as one of the highlights of his career, and he said it was such a layered moment. With there are there are like five different things happening at once in that scene, and uh, yeah. just 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 loved it. Just instantly laid in. That's the moment for me. That that moment is is just uh, funny. That moment was the moment, and I always felt sorry for him that the line producer came up and said, "We can't um, waste a lot of time on this scene. We have to move on." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I looked at him. And I said, "No, no, no! We're going to spend some time on this scene. This is a huge scene. Yeah, because it's just one line. It's just one." Qu-. I said, "No, no, no! It's not." And Alan got up and said, "Get out!" <laughs> the line no joke, it. really. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that's the other thing is that what all the other people told me uh, when I interviewed the rest of the cast. Uh, they all said, "Oh, you know, like uh, Chill Mitchell and 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 Tim and and Sigourney Weaver. They were all talking about joking around and having fun. And then when the com- when the conversation turned to Alan, they said, what a, what a performer, what a professional.' Oh yeah. And the implication I got also was that he was there to work. Everybody else was goofing around, and, but they did not know if that was him or if that was 
him really committing to the character. And I tried to get that out of him when I spoke to him, and I don't know either. He will never tell you. <laughs> and he can't now, unfortunately. Well, sure, yeah. um, he was... Uh, the loveliest, sweetest, most generous guy. It was unbelievable. And when he passed away, it it it, it was proven because it was just people were lining up oh, to yeah. tell you how much they loved yeah. Alan. Alan was brilliant. I mean, you know, brilliant, and uh, and had had that life and had been typecast. Yeah, um, Die Hard had typecast him. And he always, he was in misery because of that. Mm. He was both, but he, it's funny, he was both proud of it and in misery at the same time because he was he was trapped as that being his legacy at that moment. And so he also saw Galaxy Quest as a way to both parody something that had happened to him personally and also remove himself right. and do something totally from different Die Hard, comedy, right? yeah. And it was, uh, so it was, uh, it was fun. And this was just a few years before the first Harry Potter. That was maybe... That's right, yeah. A few years later. Now, when I met him, um, when I spoke to, uh, when I got a chance to interview all the, the cast members, some of it was over the phone, and if it was with the celebrities, uh, you know, it would be in an office or something, but Alan's... Uh, person you know a guy who a woman who helps him out with scheduling this said no just meet him at this coffee shop he likes this coffee shop and i'm like i'm gonna sit with with alan ring this freaking giant movie star at a coffee shop people are gonna be noticing we went in uh it was a nice coffee shop one starbucks but it was a nice you know sort yeah. of a, a little pricier but not you know a very nice coffee shop in the west village and i get there a few minutes early well the hottest day in july i'm sweating like a hog i'm like oh my god i'm eating snape i'm, I'm, I'm a mess and he walks in, nobody notices. That's right. Nobody notices. Waitress comes, takes her order, and it wasn't like they were saying, oh, that's Alan Rickman, I'm gonna play it cool and pretend I don't notice him. She didn't know who he was. The person next to me, I mean, this is a tight place in New York, you know, you're elbow to elbow, nobody realized I was talking to to Snape, you know, one of the most important characters in in in, in fiction. Uh, and is, what is that? Is that just an actor who just can do he, it? He just because you know, uh, he was brilliant. He just chameleoned into yeah. these characters, and when he's not those characters, he's Alan Rickman, which is a different person. Yeah, he's just like, well, you met him. It's yeah. like, just like, oh, you know, how are you? What's and then new? he also, I was like, kind of asking him. He was we were schmoozing a little bit before the interview, and he's said, oh, last night he was just telling me about the very public New York things he was doing. He went to a, a play and not a big Broadway play, like an off-Broadway play. And then he said he was going to the park later because it was nice. And then he was seeing a different play that night because he had a little free time. He liked to see theater. So I'm like, you never hear about people saying, oh, I saw Alan Rickman, you know, other celebrities. Alec Baldwin, he walks around New York. Everybody knows because he's a big personality. But this, I was like, oh, so Alan Rickman's walking around New York all day and nobody knows. I just, I found that to be a little bit interesting. But, uh, yeah, no, and then and then he passed away recently, which was very sad. Also, you know, there was a little bit of uh, rumor uh, that there was going to be, there was a deal in place about some sort of Amazon show for Galaxy Quest coming back. I would imagine, although you would know more than I, that things have are, are no longer happening. Or Yeah, we were, uh, uh, Paramount approached us, um, Paramount owns Galaxy Quest now mm -hmm. and uh, is in the library and said, um, we're thinking about making a TV show. Would you do it? Blah, blah, blah. We had been approached before and always said no. Yeah. We thought, ah, oh, we did it already and we didn't want to do it again. Um, uh, but this time, Bob Gordon, all of a sudden, I watched his face and he went, he clearly had been, had an idea. Yeah. Um, but specifically for a television show. Yeah. Um, and so I said, well, let me talk to Bob and we'll come back. Yeah. So I, so Bob goes, no, I, I actually do have this idea. Bob tells me it was because of the article that I wrote. It might I'm, be. I'm joking. It <laughs> might be. We have no idea. I'm joking. Um, but, it, but it was, yeah, it's true. They, um, we had a deal with Amazon. We were in the midst of developing it, um, which is why um, it, this was uh, this last fall. And everybody was on board, mm. which is even stranger. Everybody, Sigourney Weaver, Tim Allen, the whole crew. Yeah, but we couldn't. There are two things that happened. First, we we're having a hard time getting Tim out of his CBS deal to do the pilot. Right. And then the second thing uh, was Allen passing away, yeah. which no one, you know, he didn't, which is to his credit, I think. You know, he 
he didn't let us know he was he was ill or was right, right. was in trouble and so um but he uh he sort of intimated that you know it might be a little difficult for him mm. but um and then we when he passed we just couldn't figure it out yeah yeah well, um, it's a shame, but in a way, it's it's a shame because I, obviously I would love to see those characters again. Um, but in another way, we live in an age right now of reboots, remakes, sequels, prequels, sequels, yeah. and Galaxy Quest is one thing. It's a pure thing. It's its own beast. It has its own life. It still gets shown on the Intrepid 17 years later. Maybe well, it doesn't need anything else. You well, know? That's, that's the danger of that. I mean, that's why I didn't want to do it. As a, I didn't want to do another movie ever. Yeah. Um, and and Bob didn't either. Um, but it somehow, I think, f- for a moment, we thought, well, it's a different animal, a television series, right? And right. that we could we could um, we could somehow s- maybe see ourselves doing that. Um, a- as um, uh, luck would have it, they uh, they they keep coming back and um, offering us more and more things. So I don't know if it's actually dead. Well, um, let's let's you know never say never. So well, well we can't. We haven't figured out how right. to do it without Alan. We we just don't know how to well, do it. Well, Bob that. Gordon's a clever guy. If anybody's going to figure it out, it's going to be him. Never give up. Never surrender. Yes, <laughs> never give up. Never surrender is possibly. A war is coming, a battle that will stretch from the prehistoric forests of the ancient past to the cutting-edge research labs of today, all to reveal a true mystery buried deep within our DNA, a mystery that will leave readers changed forever. In this groundbreaking masterpiece of ingenuity and intrigue that spans 50,000 years in human history, New York Times bestselling author James Rollins takes us to mankind's next great leap. But will it mark a new chapter in our development or our extinction? From number one New York Times bestselling author James Rollins comes The Bone Labyrinth, a Sigma Force novel. Brad Thor calls The Bone Labyrinth Rollins' best thriller ever. The Bone Labyrinth from James Rollins, available in mass market paperback wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. In terms of television, uh, and this is going to delight a lot of the fans because uh, you are currently working, like just two weeks ago, you were up in Vancouver shooting uh, episodes, plural or episode singular? Well, I shot what they're calling the pilot. Okay. And then the first episode. Okay. Or second episode, I guess the pilot because, but the pilot pilot is one. Pilot is longer. Yeah. Because it's like an hour and 10 minutes, I think is what, uh, hour and five minutes is what we ended up with. Maybe it was a little shorter than that. I can't remember. Um, so basically, I shot. Um, a, well, we shot for, jeez, um, a while. Um, <laughs> I was um, up there for four months. Oh wow! For so it's for the uh, television adaptation of Douglas Adams' um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, yeah. which is a book I read when I was fourteen. Blew my mind, and uh, because I had devoured all the Hitchhikers books immediately and then i i needed more and was like oh this guy wrote something else i'll read this too Wait, and the, the irony of this is galaxy quest had just fallen apart because alan had passed away and they sent me a, you know as you get yeah. submissions right so i had a bunch of pilot submissions and you know it was like uh oh yeah um animal doctor teams up with uh, <laughs> beautiful woman uh, neurosurgeon. It right. was, it was the usual just, stuff. The usual stuff. I'm reading through all this stuff going, oh god, you know, I can't. And then all of a sudden I read this and went, oh my god, they're really going to make this? <laughs> Seriously? I'm in. So uh, uh, it was, it's written by Max Landis yes. and, and it's um, it was, it's absolutely outrageous. I mean, it's it's it's, I thought, you know, as I we joke, this is either going to be amazing or people are going to you know uh, run away. I mean, it's a weird book. So it's it's um, it's it's for what is for BBC America, BBC America, AMC, AMC. Yeah. Okay, and um, who's who's in it? Who's in this thing? Uh, Elijah Wood. It, Whoa! It, I didn't know that. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, and Sam Barnett, who's a English uh, I, stage actor. I probably know him if I saw him, but the name is not ringing a bell. Um, 
and then a lot of people you wouldn't know. Okay. Uh, well, but I will. Well, you probably know Richard Schiff from. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a whole actually, it's a whole collection of fantastic. Is is Samuel Taylor Coleridge in in your version of this? Um, no. Or was that written out? That was a weird part of the book. Yeah, the don't expect this to be the book. Ah, it's the character, not the book. He's new adventures. It is no, it is Max Landis channeling um, Douglas Adams. Okay, Dirk Gently, um, and um, so it is. Uh, I would say it's it's a little bit of uh, what's well, a lot of Max. It's a little Terry Gilliam. It's a little. Quinn Tarantino, a little Coen Brothers, a little you know, it's a it's a mashup. Okay, uh, it's a, and it's um, it, but it is it's still Dirk Gently and, and it's, it's a, Douglas it's a, Adams. Is it Amer- Is Elijah Wood doing a British accent? No, it's American Elijah Wood accent. is not Dirk Gently. He's his assistant Todd. Ah, okay. And Sam is Dirk Gently. Understood. Understood. Okay, um, because yeah, Douglas Adams is very British. Yeah. Max Landis is very American, very California. Very yeah. specific type of individual, but it could be a good blend. I mean, oh I, no, it's 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 uh, it's it's pretty amusing. It's pretty out there. Awesome. So when are we going to see next next October? Year? October of this year? Yeah. Whoa! Shouldn't you be editing somewhere? Shouldn't you uh, be? No, I finished editing the the pilot and the uh, first episode. Okay, that's why I was up there for four months. I see. I see. So you do the first two shows. You kind of get it. On its way, it's, and a, it's eight episodes. So, so now there's other other directors directors like coming up to do yeah. The with TV, it's always a little different. There's like the showrunner who's in charge of everything, and he never sleeps. He or she never sleeps. And I then you I come didn't in. I sleep and so much either, actually. You know, <laughs> who is the show? The the, the official. Well, it's 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 Max uh, and Rob Cooper, who uh-huh. who used to do, um, um, you know, where they go through the the portal into time um, uh, trap. Um, Sliders? No, god damn it. <laughs> Portal um, for Time? Uh, Brian, help us out. There's a show where they go... T- Stargate? Stargate? Stargate. Oh, God. Sorry. Yeah. I it, it slipped right out of my head. Well, you know, no, Stargate is, uh, is a show that um, I never watched. I, I, my, my devotion to Star Trek has, in a weird way, left me blind to some of the key... Never seen <laughs> We didn't catch that. Uh, but, I mean, that's something that eventually fans should know about me, your host of Engage. I've never seen Stargate. I know I was just talking about this with a friend of mine last night who was still begging me to watch SG-1. He says I would love it. Well, I, um, I know people are, you know, huge fans of it. It's, it's uh, And Rob was a sort of a perfect uh, showrunner with, with Max because um, they are they sort of complement each other. Yeah. And Rob has so much experience doing television. This is Max's first television. Um, so... Um, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, it was hard hard to do. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's a big uh, that's going to be a big thing on the calendar. I mean, for 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 sort of geek culture and British culture, and I mean Douglas Adams is uh, that those, those but you know it's funny the movie version of Hitchhiker's Guide, which is sort of the third iteration, the radio show, was, the books, yeah. the radio show was I mean it started as a radio show. The radio show was, was the what I grew up on, and yeah. the movie. Um, was not a slam dunk, so it sort of gets forgotten. But it is good, and of course, it has Sam Rockwell in it, who is and Alan Rickman as the voice of Marvin the Paranoid Android. Right? Yeah. How yeah, strange yeah. is that? That's right. And I have to admit, I still haven't seen it. Oh, it's great. I know. I know it is. It's you know, I have to go. Well, it's on. It's probably do my homework. Yeah, you get rented on the iTunes. You know, I, I sort of didn't want to see it before doing this because I, um, I think this is. Um, I can understand that visual it's representation. A, yeah, it's a very of, contemporary yeah. version of it, so it's 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 played very straight and very real, um, even though it's um, sort of outrageous and and has some strange things happening in it. Um, before I let you go, because you got to head over to the boat soon. Um, one other thing, you mentioned the last time we talked, and and if people want to know, if people really want to dig into Galaxy Quest, re- read the article that I've been alluding to, because. Uh, it's got 101 little factoids about the movie. But um, when we last spoke, you said that you had a little bit of regret of doing something that really has, has, has almost never done in movies, which is that you played around with the aspect ratios of the... Um, which, if you saw the new Coen Brothers movie, um, Hail Caesar, uh, they did that 
too. Those bastards, really? No, but I don't think they were I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So for people who've only seen Galaxy Quest on DVD, maybe don't realize the groovy thing you did, which is why you should see this movie when you can, when it plays uh, in theaters at special events. Well, it came back to haunt me, this decision. Well, how is that? Well... You know, the when you watch television, television is is in what they used to call four three mm-hmm. aspect ratio. It's almost a square, right? Yeah. Movies were uh, mostly regular movies that you saw are usually in one eight five, right? Mm-hmm. That's the ratio. So it's a little wider, and widescreen is in uh, what you used to call two four four to one, which is big and wide, goes way out to the sides. So I started the movie out in four three because. It started out as a television show. Right, and they're in sort of their TV mode. These are TV actors doing, schlepping around. Well, no, it starts in the actual footage that they're showing to the crowd at the convention, which is 4-3. So that's the aspect ratio we start in. Then, as it comes out of the screen, it widens into 1-8-5, which is regular movie aspect ratio. And then when um, Tim Allen's character um jason discovers that he's on an actual real starship in the middle of outer space um when the doors open on the back of the spaceship to reveal outer space because he's in this gelatinous cocoon right yes um it opens into widescreen into 244 so this sounds really clever but usually what happens is the the projectionist who's setting up the theater puts on the first frame of it and sets the curtains. Right. Right? <laughs> so as you can imagine, uh, a lot of screenings of Galaxy Quest, um, the audience is screaming that it's being projected into the curtains because he hasn't opened them up <laughs> wide enough. Um, and then comes back and changes it, and then has to do it again. Has to do it again, because it's <laughs> the first one minute is yeah. in 4.3, then it's, it takes 10 minutes before it opens up into widescreen. And so, yeah, th- th- so there's a reason I discovered why this was never got done again. Right. Did the studio include notes to the projectionist? Like, you know, if you always see online, uh, Stanley Kubrick wrote these very lengthy notes about how he wanted everything projected and sent it around. And these are like fun little things you can see. Did the studio do this with you as well? Or? No, because first of all, I wasn't <laughs> Stanley Kubrick. And uh, this was a big uh, commercial movie, yeah. uh, comedy, supposedly for you know right. a they younger audience and so trouble, yeah. yeah but it happened after the first week um, then all these detailed instructions oh, okay went out that's and, funny but I don't think it, it didn't go any farther than that because obviously in the transfer it's it's all in uh, in widescreen well uh, that's why you gotta go see it in the theater when you can because uh, you can experience this this shift of I mean those things do affect the viewer on a psychological level right I mean well that's I mean it opens up when we open up into the reality of of Tim's character being in outer yeah, space, yeah. which is these giant doors opening the back of a spaceship. That instant is like. Whew, so yeah. it was. It was for that. I I hoped anyway. Yeah. It was for that effect. And that effect is a great moment because, um, and this is something that really can't complement the production design enough. When the movie needs to be very Star Trek, it is like the captain's seat is in the center, and we you know, we automatically know transporter room what it kind of looks like, but then. When the movie needs to be, and I, I want to phrase this correctly, a real science fiction movie, there are moments that are just pure action. It works on its own terms. I mean, there there are thrills in this film. I mean, you want, you care for the Thermians. You want them to be okay. And when evil Saris is attacking them, well, it, it, it kind of works as sci-fi. It's not all a joke. Oh, well, th- thanks. I mean, that's <laughs> what we tried to do. I, right. I was trying to make a good, a, a, a decent enough or a good uh, Star Trek movie and then um, make it a comedy rather than the other way around which meant that I had characters you cared for and a situation that was dire and and some real emotion and jeopardy so right. we were attempting to do that in that time 17 years ago obviously I look at it now and it, it, it's uh, well, it still holds up I think for that yeah. the, for that time yeah, yeah I think it does right because there are other movies like um, people have mentioned Three Amigos to, to you right I mean there, there are some similarities but at the end of Three Amigos when the Three Amigos have to fight the baddie you don't take it seriously at all. It's just it's like hurry up, get to the ending now. But with this, when when the well, people get act- killed in it. Like I mean that yeah. that speech you're mentioning. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the the Thermians who you know you love gets yeah. killed. Yeah, um, the stakes are high. 
<laughs> Blue blood. Blue blood. Um, all right, cool. Well, listen, I don't want to take you, take up any more of your time. I want to thank you very much. We didn't talk at all about um, other aspects, which just means that when the next anniversary screening <laughs> of Galaxy Quest is here, or maybe when I, Dirk Gently is having its premiere, we can Skype you in from L.A. and we can talk about it. How does that, that sound? That would be lovely. And I would, I hope that you get a chance to see the new Star Trek Beyond, which is now in theaters. Oh, I'm planning to go see it, yeah. Okay. I, I can't help it. Yeah, uh, you're going to get a kick out of it because, um, oh, you know, I didn't even think about this. The movie opens with something that is very Galaxy Quest. The first scene of Star Trek Beyond, like the very first, after the Paramount logo, the first thing that happens, one could even argue that this is the writer Simon Pegg and his co-writer Doug Jung. One could even argue that it's 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 sort of an homage, a celebration, a wink at Galaxy Quest. The very first frame of, well, not the first frame, but the first scene of the new one. Jeez, and right. you're going to know what I mean as soon as you see it. Don't, t- don't tell me. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. All right, well, thanks again, and um, thanks for um, for Galaxy Quest, and th- and I'm going to thank you in advance for Dirk. Is it just called Dirk Gently, or is it called the Holistic Detective Agency? or is it- it, It's Dirk Gently, Holistic Detective Agency. Okay. Yeah. Thank you in advance for that, because I know I'm going to love it. And uh, we'll see you next time, and thank you out there for listening to another episode of Engage, and we will see you soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.